ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. It's January 2014 and the new year is bringing some changes for Stand Up Tragedy. Not only is the live show going to be every single month, each uses a different theme to base their tragedy on. There's going to be tragic beginnings, tragic love, Greek tragedies, tragic martyrs and loads more. So come and see one of those because the live shows are really the heart and soul of what Stand Up Tragedy is all about. There's a great team who make stand-up tragedy happen though, and so I'm one of them. I'm Bryony, you might already know that I sort out the podcast, and we think that it's a really great way for you to hear some weekly doses of tragedy from the live shows. Now though, we're giving you something different. For three weeks after each live show, you'll be able to download or stream a podcast featuring the live performances as they happen, live on stage. That's three acts of some direct, brilliant comedy, or maybe music, spoken word, which will make you laugh, or it might make you cry. And then, on the fourth week, you'll be able to hear the stand-up tragedy special, which is what you're hearing now. This is where all the exciting extra bits go, like interviews, clips from behind the scenes, and loads more. My name is Liz. I am the executive producer for Stand Up Tragedy, which means I'm money and logistics and all that good stuff. And welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. You can like us or friend us on Facebook by searching for Stand Up Tragedy. And you can follow us on Twitter at Stand Up for Tragedy. That's four like the number four. Or find our website at www.standuptragedy.co.uk. So here we are, the Stand Up Tragedy special for Tragic Christmas. Hello, my name is Ben Kill and we're at Stand Up Tragedy, the Christmas special. My name's Richard Tyrone Jones and if anyone's Stand Up Tragedy is more tragic than mine tonight, I am moving to the North Pole. Hey, I'm Martin Allswick and I'm having a really, really tragic Christmas here at Stand Up Tragedy. Uh, hello, my name is Felicity Ward and I'm very much looking forward to uh, performing at Stand Up Tragedy. Hi, I'm James Mackay, the new popular reciter, and I am going to be reading The New Mother by W.G. Clifford, the most traumatic Victorian kid story of all time. I'm Lucy Ayrton, and I just did a couple of poems for Stand Up Tragedy, Tragic Christmas. On the 12th of December 2013, we invited some old and new friends to perform some Christmas tragedies at the Dog Star in Brixton. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to those, but now I want to bring you all the bits you didn't hear on the stage. Prepare for a last dose of festivity and relive Tragic Christmas. Tragic Christmas was our big live relaunch after taking some time off after the Edinburgh Festival last August. The idea was to put a tragic twist on the festive period and invite everyone in the audience to share what got them down during the holidays. Whether you love Christmas, like me, or hate it, a bit more like Dave, this was an evening for everyone. And we had a brilliant time. Not only was there a great turnout, but we managed to raise loads of money for Arts Emergency. They're a great charity who support young creative people who want to get into the arts if they don't have the means to do it alone. Because it's a hard industry to get into, believe me, I know. And if there's no one able to make great new waves of art and literature and music, then what happens? So that was the aim of Tragic Christmas, to raise as much funds for Arch Emergency as we could. I had a chat with some of the stand-up tragedy team as they prepared for the night ahead. Hi Darcy, so you've been helping us out here tonight, setting up for our tragic Christmas. What, if anything, gets you down about Christmas? I mean, I'm generally a pretty sort of sunny person, especially Christmas-wise. Um, however, my mum, lovely as she is, is a, a very emotional being um, and likes to take everything upon herself for preparation of the day and making food and cleaning up. And as much as I try and help her, she will have a little kind of breakdown about the fact that she has to do so much work and is so stressed, but will not accept any help. So, you know, we just have to wait and watch her whilst her tears, salty tears, mix in with the uh, soapy water of the dishes. I mean, I remember my parents' divorce was like a couple of weeks before Christmas. I don't remember the Christmas day, but I do just remember them hugging, crying in the corner. But it was great because I got to watch Jurassic Park, which I haven't been allowed to watch because I was six. It would have been too old. Um, So that was fantastic. The saddest thing that can happen on Christmas is the first Christmas when someone's passed away. I think that's the thing that gets 
people the most because obviously that's meant to be the time when you're with your family and when someone's not there that's pretty pretty tragic but um, apart from that you sometimes it's my grandfather and yeah it was it was pretty pretty sad and also he was always the initiator of um, Christmas carol singing so um, we were kind of trying to stand up to the role but it was pretty hard because his voice wasn't there but we went through it as a family and also it just seems like on Christmas I don't know maybe it's just my family but even when they argue and they're really loud you kind of like keep a blind eye and you're happy anyway because it's your family and even if they're saying bullshit you're like okay let's just sit down and eat and I think food makes people happy which means you're way more happy during Christmas than normally. That was Eva and Darcy talking about what they think is sad about Christmas time. Now, here's Kit Lovelace. He and Dave led our audience in singing some tragic Christmas carols in between each act. We were amazed at the list of dark, depressing or plain sinister Christmas songs we could find. I'm going to be leading the, uh, or accompanying rather, the uh, tragic carols. Uh, We've got a few songs to play, um, a few miserable Christmas hits. I'm surprised at how dark and, and miserable some of them are. Uh, in the bleak of winter springs to mind. Carol of the Bells always sets me on edge. Uh, it sounds horrifying. It's the... That one. It's the one that it sounds like... It's Yeah, it sounds like kind of old... Oh, it's... Ugh. sounds like it will work on an Alton Towers ghost, ghost ride, Christmas ghost ride. It's horrible. Have you got a favourite sad Christmas song in general? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I'm a... I'm a a genuine non-ironic fan of Wham and I think Last Christmas is one of it's a really nice song about heartbreak and then it just happens to be Christmas based um, it's a, it is a, an actual favourite of mine What do you think the audience will think of your tragic Christmas <laughs> Well ideally it will work the way the most sing-alongs work where everybody's miles too self-conscious to sing along and you end up with a sort of tiny murmur of uh, joining in that would be slightly uncomfortable for me because then people could hear how how badly i play but um it would be good for the general ambience me ham-fistedly slightly playing the thing wrong everybody not quite sure where they are kind of trying to sing along would be the ultimate tragedy for me so uh the stage is set it should be good Christmas is tragic and the only people who are honest about that are stand-up tragedy. For anyone who has ever come out passing the mashed potatoes only to have their grandfather jam his still-lit cigar in their face, stand-up tragedy Christmas is for you. During the night, I asked our audience what they find tragic about Christmas and how they've been preparing for the family, the presents, the food and everything else associated with that time of year. Here's what they had to say. What gets me down about Christmas, yikes, it is how you are meant to be happy, you're meant to be so joyous at this time, and actually it's a little bit shit, really. Uh, The best Christmas I had was actually just me and a friend in our shared house, everyone else had gone away for Christmas, we both did not want to do a family thing, and we basically (laughs) spent Christmas Day, uh, we went to a Hare Krishna temple, and then we got really, really drunk, and that was the best Christmas ever just doing complete non-Christmassy things. Um, Having to spend it with certain of my family members. Yeah, sometimes overwhelming family members uh, and and like a weird mix of folks is, is, you know, tricky. So, uh, yeah, that's why you only do it like once or twice a year. You've just done your Christmas crackers. What have you got in your Christmas cracker and what's your joke? Very well, very well. I think it's a mystery calculator. I don't know. It's kind of appropriate. Uh, very appropriately, I have got a hair grip. What do you call a horse in pajamas? <laughs> no, zebra. Yeah, no, actually, that doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> it's a bit random. <laughs> Where do snowmen go to dance? Go to what? Go to dance. Snowball. Very good. Snowball. Well done. What's mine? Is uh, what do ghosts eat? You're too good, Mike. You're too good. Boring. Um, when I say it's boring, I just mean like 
it's never really, really, really special and lovely, and it's never really, really, really painful and emotional. And um, the best Christmas I ever had. No, that's totally, totally out of line. The most remarkable Christmas I ever had was um, was the one I didn't spend at home. I went to I was in Macedonia with a friend of mine, and we spent Christmas dinner at her family house in in Bitola, in, in some part of Macedonia. It was also in January. The audience definitely got into the spirit of Tragic Christmas and contributed a few of their own thoughts and stories to our Tree of Tragedy. We asked them to write a little message and hang it on the tree, and here's a few that we received. The children were devastated. Eventually, the sleigh and nine pairs of antlers were recovered in the North Sea. J. Adamthwaite. Santa took another swig of brandy. It's hard to have self-confidence when no one believes in you. Beckhill. 17 years old. Cut down from Norway and brought to Trafalgar Square and admired for less than a month. One of the spoken word artists of the evening, Richard Tyrone Jones, seemed to have a similar view of Christmas as our audience. He certainly wasn't afraid to share a very personal family story on stage, despite being able to make us all laugh about it. I had a chat with Richard before the night began, downstairs in the bar at the Dog Star in Brixton. My name's Richard Tyrone Jones, and if anyone's stand-up tragedy is more tragic than mine tonight, I am moving to the North Pole. The the North Pole is, uh, in a way, the least depressing parts of the world, because wherever you walk from there, you're walking to the south, where the weather is better. So it's it's the epitome of winter, but it can't get any worse. The North Pole is a metaphor for depression. There are. We're wallowing in in, dub, in a dubstep jacuzzi down at the Dog Star. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and uh, there is actually they've. I noticed they've put a little uh, noose um, on the Christmas tree, uh, just 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 in sympathy with stand-up tragedy there. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I like Christmas, but um, I don't approve of its environmental impact. I, all my family go to great pains to wrap up all the presents with expensive wrapping paper. What I do is, I, once they've opened all their presents, I go and get the presents that I've bought for the family and, and fill up a sack full of all the ripped off bits of paper and then I put all the presents and hide them in the paper and then get them to delve down into the bag um, and, and then try and find what the presents are and then and then pull them out. And that's more fun than unwrapping, really. But it's more important to just not use all of this crap in the first place. Can you remember the moment Christmas started to lose its magic? I think that would, that would probably be the, the first Christmas I can remember, really. Um, I got a Spider-Man uh, that was supposed to go down on a belay. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't particularly interested in Spider-Man, uh, and it was a bit rubbish. Um, I don't know if it was that Christmas or the Christmas afterwards, but my, I, I did like Transformers, and my mum got me an Optimus Prime, and I was really excited by it. And then it, it broke, of course, as as toys will do. And my mum said, oh, I'll take it back and I'll, I'll get you a new one. But that was the early 80s. And my parents were in negative equity and um, being battered uh, by high interest rates. And I, I never got a, a new Optimus Prime back. I think my mum just, just took it back and got the money. And, and then it's only later that I realised that that was what had happened, that Christmas is uh, so dependent on capitalism. And it's, it's always been that way. People complain about um, Coke trying to take over Christmas uh, and uh, people queuing for photo opportunities outside of a massive Coke lorry uh, when there's no Santa available. Um, well, it's always been like that. If you don't have any money, you can't afford Christmas. Yeah, See, that's, making, that's making me depressed now, talking about it. To hear the story Richard told, 
Listen back to Act 2 of the Tragic Christmas Podcast. It's on the SoundCloud, it's on iTunes, and it's the Stitcher Smart Radio app if you like to listen on the move. Top stand-up Felicity Ward had never performed at Stand Up Tragedy before, but she was interested in the night because the idea of Christmas and tragedy intrigued her. She told me why her performance was particularly poignant, because it was near Christmas seven years ago that she gave up drinking and changed her life. No, the set's a lot lighter tonight. Yeah. The set is about... Uh, well, I mean, actually, no, this is... It's sort of set... Uh, there's one story that happens uh, just when I was at the end of my drinking. So it's sort of... There's a crossover period uh, there, but it's a, it's a funny story. And actually, it's two days before Christmas that I had my... Uh, uh, that, I, that was the last time I had a drink. So it will be seven years, God willing, in two weeks. So I talk about my anxiety on stage and uh, I talked about my previous history with drinking and um, surprisingly this has been incredibly effective and people have either like when I talk about sort of getting help for anxiety I've had a whole I had loads of people this year in Edinburgh come out and they go oh I'm a fellow anxiety sufferer as well and and it's really great and having people also that work in mental health come up to me and say it's really important that you know that you're talking about it and I don't do it to I'm not doing it to fly the flag or like to be a poster girl or anything but I think it's important that if you've experienced um, mental health and you happen to have a microphone at some stage that it's it's helpful to say that you've had it because I know that it feels very lonely when you do have it and even though you know that other people have it in theory it, it usually you can figure out how to justify it to yourself that you are actually the only person in the world that experiences that. And, uh, and also with not drinking anymore, I've had, like, I've had like four people come up and say, I've got a problem with drinking, how did you stop drinking? So that's, um, yeah, it's sort of been more powerful to saying the truth than I expected. Yeah, so Christmas must be quite a hard time for that kind of thing then. You have a lot of anxiety, you stress, a lot of drinking. The first, the first Christmas was hard. Um, um, it's hard when people are really drunk. No, it's not hard. It's hard when I can't leave and people are drunk. If people are really drunk, I just go, hey, it was great to talk to you, and then I walk away because I used to be that and it's <laughs> horrible to watch. Um, but mostly it's just really boring. And when you're drunk and someone gets to tell the same story a second time, uh, you don't mind. When you're sober and someone tells the story a second time, you have the power to leave. You have the power of choice when you don't drink. Well, as one of the comedians on our bill then, um, have you got a terrible Christmas cracker joke for us? Uh, oh, I actually did a gig last night and um, uh, and they cracked it. So this is actually from a cracker. This is not one I've written. Is that all right? It's, it was surprisingly dark. The joke was, why did the elf push his bed into the fireplace? Because he wanted to sleep like a log. Little joke about suicide there for you. So. Yeah, joke about, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, kids. <laughs> Read up on this. Stand up tragedy Then the girl, her voice getting fainter and fainter in the distance, called out once more to them Your new mother is coming She is already on her way but she only walks slowly for her tail is rather long And her spectacles are left behind but she is coming She is coming 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 The last word died away. It was the last one they ever heard the village girl utter. Then the children turned and looked at each other and at the little cottage home that only a week before had been so cosy and spotless. The fire was out, the clock all broken and spoiled. And there was the baby's high chair with no baby to sit in it. There was the cupboard on the wall and never a sweet loaf on its shelf and there were the broken mugs and the bits of bread tossed about and the greasy boards which the mother had knelt down to scrub until they were white as snow. In the midst of all stood the children looking at the wreck they had made with their poor little hands clasped in misery. I don't know what I shall do if the new mother comes, cried Blue Eyes. Turkey stopped crying for a minute to think what should be done. We will bolt the door and shut the window and we won't take any notice when she knocks. All through the afternoon they sat watching and listening for fear of the new mother, but they saw and heard nothing of her and gradually they became less and less afraid. They fetched a pail of water and washed the floor. They picked up the broken mugs and made the room as neat as they could. There was no sweet loaf to put on the table, but 
Perhaps the mother would bring something from the village, they thought. At last, all was ready, and Blue Eyes and the turkey washed their faces and their hands, and then sat and waited. Suddenly, while they were sitting by the fire, they heard a sound as of something heavy being dragged along the ground outside. And then there was a loud and terrible knocking at the door. The children felt their hearts stand still. They knew it could not be their own mother, for she would have turned the handle and tried to come in without any knocking at all. Again, there came a loud and terrible knocking. She'll break the door down if she knocks so hard, cried Blue Eyes. Go and put your back to it, whispered the turkey, and I'll peep out of the window and try to see if it is really the new mother. So in fear and trembling, Blue Eyes put her back against the door and the turkey went to the window. She could just see a black satin bonnet with a frill around the edge and a long bony arm carrying a black leather bag. From beneath the bonnet there flashed a strange bright light and Turkey's heart sank and her cheeks turned pale for she knew it was the flashing of two glass eyes. It is, it is, it is, she whispered. It is the new mother. Together they stood with their two little backs against the door. There was a long pause. They thought perhaps the new mother had made up her mind that there was no one at home to let her in and would go away. But presently, the two children heard through the thin wooden door the new mother move a little and then say to herself, I must break the door open with my tail. For one terrible moment, all was still, but in it the children could almost hear her lift up her tail, and then, with a fearful blow, the little painted door cracked and splintered with a shriek. The children darted from the spot and fled through the cottage and out the back door into the forest beyond. All night long they stayed in the darkness and the cold, and all the next day, and the next, and all through the cold, dreary days and the long, dark nights that followed. They are there still, my children. All through the long weeks and months they have been there with only green rushes for their pillows and only the brown dead leaves to cover them, feeding on the wild strawberries in the summer, on the blackberries when they are no longer sour in the autumn, and in the winter on the little red berries that ripen in the snow. They wander about among the tall dark firs or beneath the great trees beyond. Sometimes, they stay to rest beside the little pool near the cots and they long and long with a longing that is greater than words can say to see their own dear mother again, just once again, to tell her they'll be good forevermore, just once again. And still the new mother stays in the little cottage, but the windows are closed and the doors are shut and no one knows what the inside looks like. Now and then, when the darkness has fallen and the night is still, hand in hand, blue eyes and the turkey creep up near the home in which they were once so happy, and with beating hearts they watch and listen. Sometimes a blinding flash comes through the window and they know it is the light from the new mother's glass eyes, or they hear a strange muffled noise, and they know it is the sound of her wooden tail as she drags it along the floor. That was just a small sample of James Mackay performing what he calls the most terrifying children's story of all time, and he might not be wrong. James knows stand-up tragedy well, having performed for us loads of times before, and so here he is telling us about what he decided to put on. I am going to be reading the most terrifying, traumatic Victorian children's story uh, ever written uh, from a collection from 1882 called The Anyhow Stories. If you read this to a five-year-old nowadays, social services will come and take you away. Victorian Christmas probably an amazing release because I think a Victorian childhood was a fairly miserable thing. Uh, if you listen to the story I'm doing, it's just horrible. Uh, it's all about if you're naughty, then your mother goes away and a new mother comes and you won't like that. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a really regimented kind of... You know, I mean, it must have been better than that for some Victorian kids. I don't believe all Victorian kids were miserable. But certainly, you know, they were all expected to mind their pins and cues, and they were all expected to sit up at table, and they were all expected to shut up and do what they were told. Uh, and I think Christmas, well, 
the Dickens thing gets in the way a little bit, I think, because we read Christmas Carol and we think it was all like that. I think Dickens was pushing for a nice Christmas. I don't think it was that nice. Goose isn't that nice. I mean, I quite like Goose now, but if I would have been seven years old, someone would give me a bit of Goose. It's horrible. It's greasy. <laughs> it's really strong tasting. It's, yeah. So I guess there's been sad things about Christmas just throughout. What kind of, what do you think is going on some of the more kind of Oh, it's because it's cold and it's dark and winter's still got ages to go, right? So so winter starts, you think, oh, how lovely. Uh, It's getting dark in the evenings. I can wear my new sweater. Uh, It's all cosy at night. And then you have Christmas. And then after Christmas, you realise this is going on till March. It's going to go on till March. That's it. You're going to have a cold until March. It's that. It's that. It's that most depressing time of the year. And however much you try and get over it by getting so drunk you can't see uh, and getting off with people you shouldn't get off with and wearing hideous clothes and filling your house filled with crap made in China, nothing can quite get over the fact that this is it. This is the darkest, coldest, most miserable time of year. And also you expect it to have fun. What's worse than being expected to have fun? It's like being in a mediocre stand-up comedy night. Nothing worse than everyone going, you're going to enjoy yourself, you're going to laugh. Are you? Really? For a Jamie Oliver flavour shaker? No, I don't think so. Yeah, well, you better not. You better not. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in. The, I'm getting in the miserable scheme of things. It's terrifying. They're gonna, you know. I, I mean, I recommend reading miserable children's literature, uh, but yeah, it's not going to be fun. I hope to traumatize these people. Traumatize them. I want silence. Fictional stories are great whether they're read aloud or whether they're written down. And stand-up tragedy has decided to bring you more of the written word, as well as pictures, cartoons, poems and letters in our newly launched fanzine. The fanzine is available for you to buy or take home, and is compiled using the work of anyone who has something good to submit, as long as it fits with the theme of next month's live show, that is. Martin Alstwick sings and writes songs under the name Sound of the Ladies, and we had to have him for Tragic Christmas. Last year... He and a friend called themselves Existential Meltdown and created a concept album which they sold to raise money for Arts Emergency. Here's what he told me about it before the show. A friend of ours is a sort of um, a socialist feminist journalist and she's very good on social media at having this larger on life personality. Uh, me, and, me and another friend um, thought to ourselves, hey, could, could we make a, a concept album about this person's life? And we thought, well, that would be a bit weird. So we, we, uh, we decided to do that, but we would um, kind of make it into like a magic realist story about someone who moves out from the, like, the wilds of Wales into London and uh, discovers the joys of cities and foxes and romance and all these things that she didn't have in Wales. It's, it's this weird concept album, but my stuff is all really folky and gentle, and his stuff is all really punky and like riot girly. Uh, so it's this weird juxtaposition of like, it's this weird juxtaposition of me doing like pastoral folk and him shouting into a microphone, which is, he, it sounds amazing, it's great, because when you're kind of getting lulled to sleep by my stuff, he'll come along and wake you up. Yeah, it's brilliant. Download it and give money to Arts Emergency. Is it even just a necessity to, to let people know that arts are important, that they're as important as science and engineering and, and accountancy and mathematics to people can get involved with it and if you want to make a career in it um, you don't have to have gone to stage school or public school and that's I think where Arts Emergency comes in by giving creating a support network and also creating some financial support for people who didn't go to fancy schools and maybe need a bit of help finding contacts and things like that. We're going to present them with a giant cheque at some point uh, with a very small amount written on it. is available for download from their Bandcamp page if you search for Existential Meltdown and with an opening song called Melt This Shit Earth I don't see how you can go wrong by downloading it and helping Arts Emergency out. Maybe you'd made a resolution this year to be a bit more generous. Want to start the new year with some good karma? Then check out Arts Emergency. It's organised by comedian Josie Long, who you've probably heard of through her stand-up or on Radio 4 if you listen to their comedy panel shows, and her friend Neil Griffiths. Neil came to Tragic Christmas, and during the show I pulled him aside to find out more about what Arts Emergency has been doing in 2013. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Neil, I'm the co-founder of Arts Emergency, and I'm here. 
that stand-up tragedy. So you've never worked with um, stand-up tragedy before, but we're here raising no, money no. for Rights Emergency. What do you think so far? I think it's beautiful. I think it's a really good idea. Um, I really enjoyed it. I like the nice mixture of life-affirming nihilism and uh, hard-to-find joy. It's quite <laughs> enjoyable. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is this the kind of um, thing that Arts Emergency supports now? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's revamping. It's a really clever format, and it's nice to hear people writing stuff, especially for a night, as well. Um, and yeah, everyone's probably been to university here and all very nerdy, so they're kind of yeah, it's bang on for us. Yeah, giving a little bit back. Yeah. Do, do you tell us for our podcast audience then? Like, I know oh you're doing it this time. Yeah. Well, exactly we're kind of we're trying to raise enough money to. Um, take on 50 students next year so we because we do mentoring and we we have to train a mentor up like it takes about four hours and we do about 20 people at a time we've got 200 of them now and like it does co- it costs us money now to do it properly so we're, we're p- hoping to raise about four thousand pound by um, by december 25th which is great because we we're a little bit late launching the appeal so we've got two weeks to do it uh, but we're halfway there already and yeah, and stuff like this is really useful. So like Steve and Martin have done stuff for me all year and I've been in touch with Dave all year and it's really good to finally meet him and yeah. Like 2013 is kind of drawing for a close. Mm. What have been the highlights for Arts Emergency? Oh gosh, well we did our launch gig at the Hackney Empire, which was really nice. We sort of, we packed that out and then um, had a really good time. Uh, we managed to get two students to have work experience with Jake and Dinos Chapman, the artists over in Hackney Wick, which for those kids was really, like something quite special um, oh there's been loads this year like Josie and I have now got an office up in Dalston which is really nice um, we registered as a charity yeah it's all started this year basically fantastic so, and then, so people what should they do now to help you in 2014 um, well there's two things we, we are run solely by volunteer fundraising so it's gigs like this and it's people like us giving like 5 or 10 quid a month um, so they can sign up to do that or they could especially join the Alternative for Boy Network. We've got about 700 people now, and it's a terrifying network of talented people across the country. There's everything from scientists to freelance clowns, um, and yeah, it's quite an inspiring thing to be part of, and it's, you know, it's the start of something. We've managed to get it onto a platform, and next year we're hoping to make it big and proper and, and terrifying for, uh, for power um, to behold. As Neil said, they've put lots of time and effort into training up mentors who can really make a difference to the lives of the creative young people who just need some guidance to get their stuff recognised. So, you think you can help in any way? Go to www.artsemergency.co.uk to find out more or just see when their next fundraiser is. Steve Cross is a comedic scientist who has done lots of live fundraisers for Arts Emergency and he told me why their cause is important. But first, we talked a little bit about Christmas. I'm here with Steve Cross in, Hello. The, in a stairwell. We're waiting to start up Tragic Christmas. Oh. And he's admiring my Christmas jumper. Your Christmas jumper's incredible. I like the fact that it is incredibly festive. There's a bear pulling a sled, but it's also quite tragic in that his neck is turned through an unnatural number of degrees and I suspect may have been broken and that what we're looking at, in fact, is a hideous taxidermied tableau of a bear created just for you for Christmas. And I like to show it off. <coughs> Proud. <laughs> is that for? So, are you a Christmas lover, or are you a bit of a Scrooge? Um, I'm kind of a Christmas uh, misser outer quite a lot of the time because I'm not very good at getting organised, and then everyone else is organised, and then I'm like, oh, I've got to do something for Christmas. So I was buying uh, Christmas presents today online, and mainly looking for anything that could get delivered in three days. This is the problem, you see, for me about this gig is that it's all about tragedy and about feelings. Um, And I mainly do science comedy, and that means, of course, that I have no feelings. Uh, I am a robot from the future, and uh, it's difficult. Um, Tonight's fundraiser for Arts Emergency. Why is something like Arts Emergency necessary for the art scene at the moment and the humanities? So you're quite involved. You do a lot of different things around the rest of I do, I do. Well, I work for a university and I've done a few arts emergency fundraisers in the past. I think at one point I was basically buying Neil's lunch for him through gigging, uh, which was quite flattering. Um, 
Why is it important? Uh, well, this is a purely personal statement and in no way related to my employer or stand-up tragedy. Our government are idiots and are screwing everything that anyone is any good at anywhere. And so the creative industries are one of the things this country excels at. Even if you are just brutally into economics and you don't care about art, it makes buttloads of money with very little resources going into it. So the government's decided to screw it up completely. Um, and I think it's quite nice that uh, people like Neil and people like Josie and people like all of the arts emergency lot are essentially trying to hold this lot together while we wait for our idiot government to go away and maybe be replaced with someone a bit more sensible. I might sort it all out again. It was great that Steve took on the challenge of a tragic Christmas, because even though emotions don't come naturally to him, finding the dark side of Christmas doesn't come naturally to some of the rest of our performers. Comedian Beck Keel really goes all out to make it special for her and her flatmates. I, lo- I was actually listening to uh, Christmas carols, you know, like the, the proper, like, oh, that kind of choral stuff. Um, I was listening to that. Uh, while I was getting ready to come out and I was it was so loud and I was like wow my neighbours must think that I'm like just a really old lady listening to songs of praise like on the telly you know how like when they're quite deaf that you have everything really loud I put up the Christmas tree on the weekend I love putting up the Christmas tree um, my only the only thing that made me really sad was the Christmas lights aren't working so I have to buy new ones but uh, yeah Christmas tree I mean I'm all about the decorations and also in my house uh, in my flat I because I realised very quickly if uh, if I didn't play Santa, no one would. And I can't stand the idea of not having sort of a Santa type, you know, like wake up and there's Christmas presents there kind of thing that you weren't expecting. What I, I've started a tradition in my flat where every year uh, whoever is living in the flat with us, I buy um, a pair of bed socks, like really warm bed socks. And I roll up one of them and I stick it at the bottom of the other so it's like stockings. Um, and then I buy treats and chocolates and things like that and I stuff them and then on Christmas Eve when everyone's gone to bed we have a life-size David Tennant cut out in my flat uh, as you do and usually the last for the last few years I've been the only girl in the flat so it's been really nice of my boyfriend and our male flatmates to allow me to have David Tennant there um, and he gets a Christmas hat so the idea is that David Tennant gives us Christmas presents every year and um, that's my Christmas tradition. <laughs> so because you are a comedian do you kind of take it upon yourself to make everybody laugh in the face of what can be for some people quite a Um, I guess so. I've never really analysed it or thought about it, but I, I think I've always had a, um, a way of trying to deal with emotional stuff by turning it into comedy um, or laughing. Every time something bad happens, I try to think, how can I get something good out of this? Yeah, because yeah. I was wondering, what influences performers to share such personal stories or sad things on stage or through comedy, poetry, music, everything? I think it's when when you're self-deprecating or when you share horrible experiences with people and then manage to turn it into comedy and, and make people laugh out of that, I think it gives everyone that sense of inclusion to know that not no one has a perfect life and, and everyone's had really horrible times in their life and if you can still look back at it and laugh at it, then everything's going to be okay, you know, no matter what hardships you're going through or anything like that. What breakfast does Dracula eat? Ready neck, which is not even Christmassy. We were incredibly pleased to discover that three of our performers wrote something especially for stand-up tragedy. Let's listen to Lucy Etten doing some brand new material on the stand-up tragedy stage. So, um, Dave mentioned my show, Lullabies to Make Your Children Cry, which I turned into a book. Look. Um, These are available for £4. They would make a very good Christmas present for a child you wish to upset or an acquaintance you didn't care for particularly. Um, So, see me in the breaks. Okay, so um, I was talking to a friend of mine um, earlier who is a lot more street than me. And she says that if you want to do new material and you're a slam poet in America, you go, hey, guys, new shit. (laughs) And then (laughs) she really said, I don't know if it's true, but she said this. And then she says the whole audience goes, yeah, new shit. Um, And she said that I should ask you 
if that could <laughs> happen tonight, because the idea is like you say that it's a brand new poem and you're feeling really vulnerable about it and it's not going to be amazing, but everyone's like implicit in being really supportive anyway. Um, so let, let's see if this works in Brixton as well as it does in DC. Allegedly, she could have just been taking the piss. Um, but guys, <laughs> hey, new shit! Awesome. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, thank you very much. So this is a poem that I wrote um, particularly for stand-up tragedy. It's called Worrying About Santa Claus. I was standing in M&S when it started, looking at pants. Men's pants. And I thought, does my boyfriend need more pants? He hasn't said that he needs pants, but, I mean, surely he does. Surely... Everybody does, right? So I picked them up and I thought, maybe instead of buying them and just giving them to him and saying it was his turn to heat the ready meal up, ha, because I bought him new pants, maybe I'd wrap them up and I'd put a note on them and say that he'd been a really good boyfriend recently, what with all the microwaving of the ready meals, and so he deserved new pants and I'd sign it from the Knicker Fairy. I know that that sounds like a bit of an arse, but I thought that it might inject some sparkle into an otherwise humdum Tuesday. We like whimsy, that's like kind of our thing. So I held these pants, these men's pants, and I could see our whole future stretched out ahead of us, me and him, running out of pants and noticing and creeping down in the night to leave glitter-frosted knickers on the kitchen table. And maybe one day we'd have a kid We'd leave her pants there as well. And she might not even realise where pants really came from until she was embarrassingly old, like seven or something. And that would give us something really funny to say when they do those icebreaker sessions and they're like, tell us a wacky fact about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that'd be kind of cool. Um, so there I am, holding these pants, thinking aloud a little girl that I haven't even decided that I want to try to conceive and I start to worry about Santa Claus because... That whole thing really sounds like a lot of pressure. Um, what if she found out way too young and she hated me for ruining the magic of Christmas? Or what if she found out way too late and she hated me for lying to her and she'd get teased? And they say, don't they, that you love kids more than anything. The first time you see them, you get crushed by this massive wave of love and it sweeps everything else away. And I don't understand that. Like, how could I, but... Sometimes when I'm on the bus and behind the kind of baby that smiles with its whole body, I think I can nearly imagine. And I wonder, this kid that I love more than anything, do I really want to lie to her? But there's a difference between lying and stories. I know there's a difference. I still get a stocking, even though I'm 27, because I'm an only child. <laughs> For a few minutes, every Christmas, I really do still believe, but then I never actually asked if Santa was real or not. Is that the trade-off? Truth for magic. I know it sounds like a lot to be worrying about this whole existential Santa thing, but it's easy for me because I'm really, really good at worrying. I can worry about having left the oven on while I'm actually in the act of turning off the oven. And if my period's late, I can simultaneously worry that I might be pregnant and worry that something's wrong and I might not ever be able to have kids. <laughs> Just suppose might be what I'm really worrying about. So anyway, I'm still an m and Still holding the pants. Thank you very much. Have a lovely evening. <laughs> Think it went down really well. It was a supportive audience. Um, I am glad that I did the whole like new shit thing. Um, that was Sophia Walker told me to do that. Thank you, Sophia. That was cool. I thought that was her. 
Yeah. yeah, thanks for yeah. asking something <laughs> new, especially for a stand of tragedy at Christmas. Ah. Um, where did you get your inspiration from? It's a true story. Mm-hmm. It's actually a true story, genuinely M&S, pants. Um, and a lot of um, the stuff that I'm working on at the moment, I'm working on my Edinburgh show for next year, which is going to be about mermaids. And I thought, what do, what do mermaids mean? What is, their, what is their thing? And one of the things that I thought about mermaids is obviously they don't, have, they don't have genitalia, so they don't give birth to live young, but they have boobs, so I think they want to. So they have the equipment for nursing, but not for giving birth. And that kind of got me to thinking about kind of what motherhood means, and that's something that's quite far away for me at the moment, but it's a decision-making process that I'm beginning to engage with, which I'm really interested in, because I think that that's something that's not spoken of. There's a lot of discourse about, like, oh, I really want a baby, or, oh, I don't want a baby, but no one really talks about this these mushy years where you're like, huh, kind of, I'm interested, go on, convince me. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. That's really interesting. Cool. You also spoke about... Sort of Christmas losing its magic. When did was yeah. there a point where Christmas started to kind of lose its magic for you? Um, actually, I also I also meant it about still getting a Christmas stocking, and I'm um, I'm very fortunate. I've got I am an only child, and um, my parents live in rural Yorkshire, so it's quite a it's very different to my normal life. So to be honest, I still get it. That never that never really happened. Like Christmas morning. I still feel it quite easy to be six years old again. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I do, I'm massively pro-Christmas. <laughs> yeah, massively. Um, what have you been doing so far to get yourself in like, the festive spirit? Oh, well, at the moment I've been packing because I'm really, really trying to move house in the next week. So nothing, but basically emailing my mum and going, this is rubbish, I haven't had a chance to do any fun Christmas admin and having emails back going, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. You'll be home soon, that'll be fine. Um, So, yeah, just looking forward to the home for Christmas experience. big fan of Christmas is George Lecowix, who is usually telling stories and creating multimedia shows under the name The Super Bard. He's done a great Edinburgh show in 2013 and created radio shows which can be found on the London arts station Resonance FM. For Tragic Christmas though, he embraced the challenge of writing a sad Christmas story. Uh, do you know what? It's one of those really weird things where I did the story and the introduction, I wasn't lying during the introduction. I really struggled with this. It was a real, it was a real problem for me coming up with a sad Christmas story. Lots of other people managed it fine, had, had no issues. Um, I have, I was about to say, I'm, I unfortunately have the sort of rosy past filled with scented flowers. Um, I don't really want to use the word unfortunately there. It's been great. I'm very happy with it. Um, but yeah, it means that me doing a tragic Christmas story, it felt like I was betraying uh, all that I love about Christmas. It was, yeah, it was hard. But yeah, it was okay. And I think that hardness might have come through, maybe. I don't Maybe it made you think about what do you find sort of, like, what is quite dark about Christmas? So, the, the real darkness for me is that there is no magic of Christmas. It's like when you when you get to it right at the end, Santa Claus isn't real and and we have to live our ordinary humdrum lives and not be saved by Santa Claus and instead he's more likely to vomit on you uh, as a drunk man than he is to take you off on his sleigh and I find that quite sadly disappointing in our lives. That's the only tragic th- tragedy that I could come up with. What have you been doing to, in the run-up to the festive season? How have you been prepping yourself? So I have, I have all my Christmas uh, presents prepped and bought. They're all ready to go. They're, all, they're not wrapped. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a mental person. Um, but I have, yeah, I have got them all, all uh, stacked and ready. And I like to probably spend more time than most people do with their presents. You know, like some people are just like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go out and get someone a jumper or something. I'm like, if, if it's a jumper, that means I haven't thought hard enough about what I'm getting for them. And when I'm also one of those annoying people that when everyone says, oh, I'd quite like a, well, whatever you've just said, you're not getting. That's not, that's not what I do. That's not part of the fun. Plenty of Christmas to come and I will go home and play lots of board games and be very happy about it. So, as I said, 
All of last month's performers are available to listen to again as podcasts. So if anything you've missed, just head to the website www.standuptragedy.co.uk. But on to our next live show then. Tragic Beginnings will be taking place on Friday the 17th of January at the Hackney Attic. And the lineup is brilliant. Helen Zaltzman of the Answer Me This podcast is headlining. And we've also got Jay Foreman, Rosie Wilby, Miss L, Emily Capel, some Liars League fictional storytelling, Maria, the Queen of Flamenco, Nicole Thomas, David Von Jones and Jess Brownrigg. They're all going to be there. So are you. All you have to do to get tickets is go to our website. They're £5 now if you buy them in advance or £7 on the door, which is well worth it because that's a lot of entertainment on the bill. Keep connected by going to the Stand Up Tragedy Facebook page or by following us on Twitter where we're at Stand Up For Tragedy. That was the Stand Up Tragedy special for Tragic Christmas and to end, here's some of our performers getting together after the show and sharing some of their best Christmas cracker jokes. So for now, the tragedy is over. I've got one. Um, this is this is one that I am so impressed that my boyfriend's nine-year-old cousin guessed the other day, which I think means he's basically a genius. You're going to have to bear with me, but what do you use to cut a massive ocean? A seesaw. Oh, nice. That's the best, the best Christmas joke ever is you fooling us that you didn't get that. <laughs> So I, I was at a Christmas uh, party last night, the work one, and the cracker jokes came out, and the best one was, what, what is furry and minty? A polo bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really like that. I love your <laughs> I'm afraid that's the best I've got, though. <laughs> what is the, the other one is, what do elves learn at school? Think about it a little bit. The oh. alphabet. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um, what? What do you? Sorry, let me just go. What do you? What do you call someone who um, is very into their work for Santa? A subordinate clause. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. clever. What do you call someone who uh, is very? I'm going to think of a good way of putting this. Very fastidious about their work for Santa. Someone, someone who works in elf and safety. Oh. Oh, <laughs> you better rein it in, dear. <laughs> oh, this is the end of an episode of He Man. <laughs>